Welcome to Ben Navarra's podcast with your host, Ben Navarra's. Dude, I feel you. I, I just started um, dipping my toes into content creation as well. Um, I started writing blogs and I'm just, I just got a whole camera set up to do um, online classes. Actually, I'm going to do online singing classes and like YouTube content. So I'm excited about that, but it's overwhelming, man. I didn't understand the number of tiny little decisions you have to make to figure, figure out your setup when you're getting started and like, you know, what, what are I recording? I don't know. Depends on the platform. Go check what each one takes and how it's going to show it. Is it even worth it to shoot it in a higher resolution or whatever? It's, I had no idea what can of worms I was opening. Apparently everything that I'm reading is more about the, the 1080 being better than the 4k because most platforms will accept a 1080 a lot better. It's easier downloading, mm. better user experience than a 4k. And so I've mm. been reaching out to all these people that, that, that do pod, I, I, two, two people um, that do podcasts and <laughs> all these people, right? All these people. I mean, when you, when you're starting your hustle, your network isn't huge, but you make advantage of it, you know? Yeah. That's, that's for damn sure. Uh, and I mean, there's a lot of Reddit stuff as well, but some of the stuff is just so damn expensive. Like mm. you're spending eight, hundred dollars at least for a a good camera and mm. i was like yep. i just i can't rationalize that starting out how are these right. people like just dropping like fourths like some i watched a video the other day it was like a budget friendly whatever four thousand dollars this guy spent on his fucking oh like like this isn't budget friendly who are you what are you doing uh that's funny it's yep that's real Funny story about that. So I ordered one of those $800 cameras you're talking about. It was the Sony ZV-E10. YouTube seems to consent with one another. Concur. That's the word. I was like, consensus? Concur. They they seem to agree that like that is a great pick for someone starting out. It kind of has everything you need and nothing extra, right? Um, but yeah, it's 800 bucks, And I was like, well... I, I'm in this for real and I do have a little bit of cash. So I decided to buy it and it came with a kit lens that everyone said is decent enough to get started. And I was like, sweet. I found it on open box for Best Buy. So it was a hundred bucks off shows up in the mail. And I'm like, so stoked box doesn't look as good as I, I thought it would. It was a little beat up. And I was like, ah, whatever. Pull the camera out. It's got heft. It's nice. I'm like, wait, this is the wrong color. And I look at the box and I'm like, yeah, they even, they even gave me the rock, right box, black camera, but there's a different, wait a minute, wait a minute. And I checked the order because there's no lens. And I'm like, wait a minute. And they sent me the wrong camera with no kit lens, but it's an $1,800 camera, <laughs> not an $800 <laughs> camera. And I, the Mormon in me, if that, I don't know if that's what we're talking about today, but the Mormon in me was like, I have to return this. This isn't right for me to keep this. And then the, the other, the rest of me, the bigger part of me, honestly, was like, but, <laughs> I mean, this is a professional camera, right? I'll never need to upgrade. And the, the chips never fall in my favor, usually. So I was like, you know what? I'm keeping it. And I told my friends, and they're all like, good for you. And I'm like, yeah. Hell yeah. Keeping it. I still yeah. have to spend $400 on a lens now. So they're going to get my money one way or another. 
Uh, I, and it's a full frame camera, which I found out the lenses for those are way more expensive if you if you go full deal on them. So, like I said, they'll get their money out of me one way or another. So I don't feel too bad. What is a full frame camera? Oh, so yeah. See, I didn't even know this until about three weeks ago. So most uh, professional grade cameras have a sensor, right? Most they're pretty much all user, uh, you know, consumer level cameras are digital, right? Um, so they have a sensor, um, but there are different sensor sizes, right? The one in your phone is is tiny, and anyway, most professional cameras have a thirty five millimeter. Um, well, that is exactly what it is. I think uh, digital sensor size. So say it's yay big, right? Um, and it's based off of traditional film, which is, you know, it's the proportions dimensions of what traditional film looks like. So that's, that's sort of a standard sensor size, I guess, but it's very expensive. It's like the cheapest full frame camera. I think that I found was about a thousand bucks and it's like, it's bare bones, you know, like most decent ones start, um, like around $1,500 and they can go up from there to thousands and thousands. Um, so as an alternative, I guess camera makers made what's called an, an APS-C sensor. Um, people will call it a three-quarter sensor because it's like, here's 35 millimeter size, you know, full frame. And then the APS-C sensor is is yay big, right? It's okay. a little smaller. So it's it's slightly less resolution. It's just, I mean, it's like hard to describe. How do you describe it? So basically everything looks a little more zoomed in. Okay. So it's the same resolution as a full frame camera. But it's just the focal distance is a little different is really all it is. And I think you get slightly less less um, quality because the sensor isn't as big. It can't take in as much light. And so um, your, your, your darks will look darker. Your whites will look wider. Your colors will be more vibrant. Everything will look more detailed and crisp, I guess, if you have a full frame lens, as long as you're using – full frame camera, as long as you're using a full frame lens, which I won't be because – I didn't have a thousand dollars to spare right now on a lens. <laughs> I tried to buy a seven hundred dollar camera, so I settled with a four hundred dollar lens. <laughs> so that's that long story. Also, heads up, it's not official, but I'm pretty sure I have ADHD. I'm meeting with my doctor next week to find out for sure. Um, so if I get a little, that's all just to say, I get a little wandery, or I can, I can, uh, I can go off, man. If you want me to go off, I'm always. My wife can tell you. Right. So if I, I ever that, get too, uh, it's know, part of it too. Okay. Let just rein me in. If I'm talking too much at any point, that, that is my job. And I would rather you talk more than you talk less. Cause sometimes there are people that it's hard to get anything out of. And it's like, so like, well, tell me a little bit more about that. And they're like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, cool. Awesome. I appreciate that. Like, tell me like, Come on, give me something here. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. no, I definitely would rather more than less. And then if it is two more, we're straight off, and you know, I'll bring you back to wherever yeah. we need to go. Um, cool. So I met you through Nate. This is our actually our first time ever chatting. Uh, Nate mm-hmm. is a fantastic human being, and I've had yeah. the pleasure of getting to know him here in Brian Called Station. And he told me a little bit about your post uh, okay uh, and then i see shared it with me we were like sitting down at the at primrose which is a local like tapas place here in town i figured it sounded like a millennial hangout yeah yeah like, pretty much like a nice one 
<laughs> I want a primrose here, whatever that is. Oh, dude, you got it. A primrose is a good place to be. The best tiramisu in town. I swear oh, to God. I don't know if you're God, a tiramisu. I but love tiramisu so much. The best in town, man. God. I definitely wasn't born to be Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> you like all the things that Mormons uh, coffee. I do. I I always have sex and coffee and and just pleasure. Honestly, like I feel like so many. It's not a commandment or anything. It's not a. It's not something you're you're explicitly told to do. But there's a very puritanical culture in Mormonism. You know, our there's. There's sort of this sense that like, well, our physical bodies are evil, right? We need to suppress our our impulses and our feelings and our wants and our carnal desires, right? It's bad to want things with your body. You should only want them with your spirit. <laughs> and they tell you what things your spirit will want. So, <laughs> so you end up just wanting what they want you to want. It's kind of crazy. Anyway, we don't have to get in deep right away. But yeah. Um, Nate and I, so it's so funny. Nate and I are, are one of, I don't know if you know, know what I'm talking about, but there's these people in your life where you sort of orbit each other, right? Like you're always in each other's circles and like you never become best pals or, or end up having those deep conversations necessarily, but like you're always on good terms, always happy to see each other, right? Just for whatever for sure. reason, you just don't spend as much time together, but you know, as your life changes and these major milestones happen, you just... You end up being there for them, you know. His his ex wife Cassandra and I were a little bit closer. Um, we were in the same program in college, and started at BYU the same year. She we were both transfer students, but we were taking freshman courses in this in this very structured degree. So it was like it was we, we kind of came up together, and that's how Nathan and I um, became friends primarily. Um, but he is a really good guy. I I feel comfortable around Nathan, you know. He's one of those yeah. people you feel safe around, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, which is a big deal for me. So Why? Oh, you, you asked the question. Well, again, don't, it, let me know how deep you want to get in, but um, – We're going. We're, 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 I, we're going. So I'm a – here we go. Uh, I'm a trauma <laughs> survivor. I'm a, I'm a trauma survivor in a few different ways. Um. Which I can share about to a, to an extent. Uh, I'll probably be general about all of that because I'm still in a place where I'm very much processing it for myself, um, and it's not something I really realized until the last few years of my life, which is kind of insane to me. You know, I read I read the the articles and textbook references that said that adults' brains, you know, stop developing and kind of finish themselves. Um, and settle into who they're going to be in their late twenties. And then you can have a, a more nuanced, a more, um, objective look back at your childhood and your life and, and kind of start, you know, deciding what you want to keep and what you want to leave. And I knew that was a thing. And I, I definitely felt it. It almost was like a switch flipped when I, I hit 27, actually like late 27, early 20, 28, and then just accelerated. But I started looking back in, in my late twenties and with the help of my wonderful partner, um, her name is Brittany and, and the people in my corner, you know, I realized, wow, there's a, a lot of things I was raised with that are not okay. 
some to do with my faith, mostly to do with my family, actually, surprisingly. Um, because even my, my partner, Brittany, who is also Mormon, was raised in the faith and we, we were married in the temple in, in 2015. Even her, you know, she was like, that's not okay how your dad talks to your mom. Like, I'm furious right now. Like, you need to do something or I will because, like, he shouldn't be talking to her like that, you know? Or, like, or like a friend going, like, wait, what? Like, they did that to you? Like, that's not normal. Or, like, you know, mostly a lot of it came up in therapy. I've moved back to Utah a couple years ago and was kind of stuck here. I hate living here. Um, and I was like, well, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out my, you know, what to do for a career. You can't make a living as, as a full-time actor in Utah really. So it's a hard place to be out. for acting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then the pandemic happened and that was dark for every entertainer for, for a lot of people really. Right. Yeah. Every, almost every industry took a hit. Some took off obviously, but. Where was I going with that? Anyway, being in Utah, I got into therapy and and had a have had a great therapist, um, Sue Ellen, um, in in Orem, Utah, who's been really great for me. And I've I discovered EMDR. Have you heard of EMDR before? I have. Nice. Yeah, I've been doing that with her, and that brought up a lot. And then I got a medical cannabis card last December in Utah. Nice. And uh, can I smoke on the podcast? Or yeah, is dude, that yeah. A, that's okay. It's There's not like a rating thing? Nah. It helps me uh, focus my thoughts sometimes, actually, which is another reason why I'm like, I think I have ADHD. Um, <laughs> um, so, so through therapy, through EMDR, through getting my cannabis card, actually, which which helped my mental health more than anything other than therapy has so far more than any medication I've been on, which is, is not what I expected. I was just having severe anxiety, like, and my medication wasn't managing it and therapy wasn't managing it. And I was just starting to feel overwhelmed. So I was like, well, I'll try cannabis. You know, I can, I'm in the, I'm in the state. So, um, and that made me feel safer than I have in a long time. Wow. And, uh, and a lot of, of, uh, repressed trauma has been coming up for me ever since last December, kind of periodically. And I've been, you know, adding it to the queue of things to work through in therapy. And I've been in a hurry to work through it because I'm tired of feeling like a piece of shit. But my therapist is reminding me <laughs> that, you know, these things don't happen when we want them to. They don't happen on our timeline. So I have to be patient, which has always been a, a tough spot for me. Patience, patience is a hell of a... A hell of an idea, especially for someone who has ADHD. I can I can relate. I was diagnosed yeah. very early on, and oh, I um, wish I've been on medication. I think my parents started me when I was like in fifth or sixth grade or something like that. Like wow. it's been, it's been. Can I in guess? My life was for it sure? Was it Ritalin? It was Ritalin. My cousin was on Ritalin um, in, in middle school. He definitely, I could tell right away he had ADHD, the hyperactivity and all that. Um, and then, but he didn't love the way it made him f feel like it, he didn't feel like himself. He felt pretty like numbed out. Did you experience any of that? Uh, for sure. So I think that one of my 
you know, we all, we all have our strengths. We all have our, our, our things. And I think that I've right. been, um, I've always had this like ability to interact and communicate very well with other people. I, that's just, I mm-hmm. think that's, that's where my strength may lie. And mm. if I'm on drugs, then I lose that, but I'm able to sit down and complete tasks that much better, which is mm. frustrating. Like I can, if I'm writing, <laughs> so a you're personal, like trading between like accomplishing your goals and feeling like yourself. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And it's the absolute worst thing. Like it, I wow. can, I can sit there and write uh, a program for a client, right? I'm, I'm, I'm personal training is my background, um, athlete okay. development. Awesome. And so I can sit down, I can write a full training program, understand where everything's going, why it's going that way. And if I'm not, then I'm like, I'm so short so like I, I get through one, two weeks and maybe they're half done. And I'm like, I, I just, I can't do this. Like I can't, or I started reading a, mm. uh, an online book thing that I was doing uh, a certification. Uh-huh. And I, I got to a point where I was reading the same question five, six, seven times. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, I just like it, like it, I just don't see the words. Like I see the words, but I just don't like, they're not, like I just don't know what I'm reading. They're not, they're not sinking in. It's like dry earth and the water can't like get in. Exactly. Right? Like yeah. reading out loud, reading like like yelling it. Like what do I have oh, to do? My wow. dad's like, why don't to you that just extent, like it would get it would like get really frustrating. Like Oh for sure. And you'd get heightened. Oh wow. Yeah. That's and so it was never that bad for I mean, well go for No, go for it, go for it. Well, I was just going to say, I've, it's never been quite that for me. I think I have the inattentive type of ADHD, formerly known as ADD, which is why I don't think I was ever diagnosed because I knew people who who had ADHD or were diagnosed with it. And I, they stressed me out. They were too much. They were too hype for me, right? I was like, yeah. ah, like I can't deal with all that, you know? Yeah. But it's because it's because I have a hard time focusing on things if there's a lot of stimulation going on around me. Like I need some. Otherwise, my brain is too loud. That's why I always did homework with music on growing up. But I, it had to be the right kind of music and it had to be at the right volume so that I could kind of like tune it out and then like focus on my math. You know? Do you know what that. I'm talking about? Oh, is that for sure. For you? <laughs> yeah. For sure. <laughs> I don't know if it's like the way I was raised. I was raised with um, – so my family has 10 kids. I'm number eight of 10 kids. So Damn. I don't know if there were ever 12 of us in the house at one time, to be honest, because there's so many people. It kind of spans generations. It, yeah. it kind of, it does. It spans like three generations. Oh my God. Um, which is crazy. But, but anyway, huge family and it was always so noisy. There was always something going on, right? No, no matter what, like really the lack of, there was a lack of privacy or, or any quiet in the house. But it got to the point where like I moved away to college and if all my roommates were gone and I was in the apartment alone, it was like freaking me out. Cause it was so quiet and I like, couldn't, it was like debilitating actually. I like, couldn't get anything done. Cause I was just like thinking about how quiet. It is. <laughs> oh my God. It's like hilarious thinking, like saying it out loud. I'm like, what is wrong with me? <laughs> Nothing, man. Humanity. We're just all shapes and sizes. There's no fucking normal. There's no, this is, I used to say we're all broken and my wife would like take issue with that because she didn't want to feel broken. And, and I was like, but we all are like, look at us. Like everyone has something they're ashamed of, right? Everyone has something they regret. Everyone has something they're afraid of. Everyone has something that triggers them. 
we all do. It's just, and so my therapist even says like, you really shouldn't say like we're broken. You're not broken. Nobody's broken. <laughs> like you, there's nothing to fix. You just are who you are. You can be sad. You can be angry. You can be hurt, but, and, and we can fix those things, but that's not who you are. Right. And, and everybody deals with all this. Like nobody's broken. It's just, it's normal to suffer a little bit or a lot. That's just the human experience, I guess. It's, I also get existential. I'll go for it. Should have warned you. I also get existential. Hey, same. Uh, like to an extent, like I will turn my, th- I've had therapists like turn on me and be like, yeah, that's pretty much like, that's how life gets. And it, like nothing really matters. And like, this is just the reality. <laughs> They're all- I'm like, you're supposed to make me feel better. I thought like, this is like, you're telling me that nothing matters. I had one therapist yeah. that she started telling me about like her day and her problems. And I was like, mm. what are we doing here? Like, I thought this, I thought this was from me. <laughs> 80 percent, 80% of therapists are um, agnostic secretly or, or not so secretly, I guess. Probably I'm not sure so there are, are many therapists of faith out there, but I wouldn't be surprised if deep down a majority of them were agnostic. I, I probably would be. I mean, I think I am now, but I think I would be even if I were Mormon and working for the church as one of their family services therapists. I'd probably end up being agnostic too because like – how do you – I mean, you're not about to tell a, a victim of domestic abuse to just try and make it work because of the plan of salvation if you're like a therapist and you know that they're being hurt. Like you're not – you'll suddenly be like, hmm, wait a minute. What's uh, – something's wrong here. <laughs> I think that has to do with, with existentialism and I think that has to do with, with not existentialism, with you know traditional faith. So. I think my my therapist always said um, it's just part of your story. You you need all of the people that are either going to like. I, I was always frustrated with people that don't like have a high standard of execution of items. Like, how could you just like buy the shittiest thing and then just be okay with like that existence? And you know that it's not good for you, but you're still willing mm. to accept that thing. And she was like, "You need those people. Like that that mm. is part of their story, and that is okay. Mm. They're not wrong." They are not right. They just you need them to exist otherwise. And then I think being a, like in business, like you you need the CEO and you need people who don't want to start their own business. Mm-hmm. Otherwise there's nobody mm-hmm. to guide, right? Like you need right. those people. Absolutely. I think that's a really powerful perspective to have, Benjamin. Like I've I've had that before professionally, and I've 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 seen that even more as I've gotten older. Like, yeah, the, the world does really need all types. And, and simultaneously, I've always undervalued my type. That's something I've been, I've realized recently. That um, right there is a huge, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Probably not alone in that. Right. Yeah. Um, how, how do anyway. you work to, to, to value what you bring to the table? Oh, you know, I honestly, I couldn't at first. That's, that's how, that's how much abuse I went through growing up from my family and my faith. Um, and it's, it's okay. Big disclaimer here for any family or friends listening and, and for everyone. Um, 
I love my family. I I don't think I can help but love my family. I always have, and I always will. God, I'm getting emotional saying it out loud on air. Jesus. Um, sorry, sir. Um, Do it. Now. <laughs> I, I, it's part of yeah. No. Um, no. No. No disrespect to Jesus. Um, and I I love my faith still. That's the craziest part about this. Sorry again, if my emotional verklemptness gets in the way of audio quality today, it might. Um, so that's my disclaimer. And I love my friends. And I, I want to go back to what you said. The world needs all types. And that's why I, I wanted to finish that thought real quick before I get into to fully answering this question. Um, I think that's a powerful perspective for you to have in your personal life with your loved ones, with with religious belief and, and all that culture or whatever. The world needs all types. We we really should apply that business perspective that we're so good at here in America, the line of capitalism, right? To our personal lives. I I'm not a CEO type, but I am an entrepreneur type. I think because of my ADHD and I I think I always have been and I think I've always been afraid of it because my dad was too. And I, and I could see it gave him a lot of drive, but I could also see it never brought him much money and, and money problems made us suffer as a family. There was a lot of risk and there was a lot of failure in my dad's case. Um, as hard as he was at working, like he's the hardest worker to this day I've ever known or seen or, or met. Like the, the way that guy could throw up drywall on a wall, he's a contractor until he was in his sixties boggles my mind. <laughs> I I would watch him when I was working with him, which was since I was like 11. I worked with him at least seasonally. We were a pretty poor family. Um, the I to this day I like think about watching him work and just thinking I cannot do that in life. Like I can't. I don't have it in me. I know I don't. So like I. I need to figure out something else to do or I'm in trouble. You know, I was, I was intimidated by how hard he worked. I was, I was, it made me, um, it made me insecure, honestly, but it also kind of makes sense because again, I was his coworker since I was 12. What 12 year old can do what a, what a 40 year old can do with two yeah. decades of experience under their belt. Right. But I just, that was the, pers- you know, the only perspective you have is the one you're raised with. Right. I, I had an, an, unordinary childhood and not, not typically in a good way. Honestly, if I'm being honest, the the majority of things that were odd about my childhood so far and, and what I've discovered in therapy, it could change in the future have been, have been mostly negative, unfortunately, but there are some good things too, that were peculiar about our family. And if we have time, I'd love to get into that as well. So just to finish your thought, the world needs all kinds. I think that helps me value my family more. And, and, and that's why I think that disclaimer is important. I, I love my parents. I love, I love my siblings, each one of them. I love my friends, those in and out of the Mormon faith, those in and out of my life, those in and out of whatever. I just, I love people. It's it's pretty easy for me. Honestly, it always has been. I've hated very few people in life. So I want to make that disclaimer so that nobody walks away from this feeling like I, I don't. That's important to me. All right. Yeah. So now getting back into your question, 
Um, what was it? <laughs> or Why? you're getting back to like, yeah. Oh, how, how do you, um, remember the value that you have and bring to this world? Right. I think that was there. So, there was one there, and there was another one yes. that I asked why, based off of yes. what you said. Right. So I said, uh, "There, the world does need all types." And for for a long time, until recently, I undervalued my type specifically. Um, and we tend to undervalue that the world needs all types. Yeah. And and the reason I made the disclaimer about family and friends is is the two main reasons, Ben, that I undervalued my type in life. Or my family and my faith. And that sucks to say. I don't like saying that. I wish it were different. I wish I I had the kind of family that gets together every week or two and has dinner and plays card games just because they want to and they're used to it. And they live by each other. But I don't. And there's a lot of reasons why I don't. And again, most of them are, are negative. I don't want to get into the specific traumas necessarily of my family. I would like to get into some of them of my faith um, because I think my faith, although it was kinder to me than my family, it also enabled my family to be what it was. It sort of created it sort of, it absolutely created who my family was. So it's sort of the, the grandfather of my trauma, if you will, you know, it's, it's my grandparents and it's the church. <laughs> that's, that's, that's whom, you know, that is the nurture side of Cameron Smith in a nutshell, my family and my faith. And then like, thank God, my friends that I made in high school and, and college and theater, musical theater and music that, that, that's all who saved me. Right. If the church and my family is who had me locked in a basement emotionally and spiritually, um, my friends in high school, stud posse, if anyone from Sandy, Utah knows about the stud posse at Hillcrest, um, secret combinations there, good ones, fun ones. And, uh, uh, friends I made in college through musical theater, all of the, the queer community that sort of like, <laughs> was the first switch in my brain that was like, wait a minute, these people are happy. <laughs> well, some of them, um, you know, <laughs> you can't say that about any group of people. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and wow. They're like, they're really fun. And they just like, don't care. Do they like, it makes me a little uncomfortable or especially if they hit on me. Oh God. But like, Oh, but like they, that's weird. My faith told me they'd be sad and feel this empty hole in their lives, something that they're missing. And, they seem happier than I do. And that went on for a long time before I finally went, <laughs> what the fuck? Ugh. Turns out I'm polyamorous and on the pansexual spectrum as well. I didn't know that until a few months ago. It's crazy what your brain can suppress when you feel like you're in danger growing up because of who you are. Yeah, that was news yeah, to me. That's that's huge. I think for a lot of people that maybe later in their life, because I think I think unfortunately for our generation, that there, there was a lot of that 
like suppressing who you are because I'm dealing with a lot um, as a parent, which I understand. Like I am the age that my parents had my their their first kid, <laughs> right. That's insane. Yeah. I'm sorry. But like I know that times are different and things are really expensive right now. But they are. That – I can't imagine him bringing a kid into this world right now. Like I, I'm not suited for that and I don't think that most of our parents were suited for that either. And then if you're growing mm-hmm. up in a, with a specific guidance that maybe perpetuates some unhealthy behavior, then – it doesn't lead to the best, the best production of a, of a, of a child, unfortunately, all the time. Right. Right. And if you think about it, it's, I, I feel that deeply to my soul, what you just said about our parents and their generation. And I want that to be clear, but at the same time, I, I'm such a sympathetic person. I think about them and I think, you know, they were kids just like me. Right. They came into this world with creativity and excitement and spontaneity and, and feeling safe until they didn't. Right. And they were raised by, by, they were raised by people who went through World War II, you know, like the, my grandfather, Robert Cook, who I named after, spoiler alert, my first name is actually Robert. Don't steal my identity. Cameron's my middle name. My parents, have always called me Cameron, but my mom named me after her dad, which is sweet. Um, I wish that they just switched the order though, because that's caused problems in my life. Had to freaking <laughs> get a new social security card when I was trying to get a phone plan with my wife. That was weird. Anyway, we did that. We went the Swedish way. I learned recently that the Sweden, that's normal. Like uh, Tuvalu, uh, Tuvalu, excuse me, Tuvalu. It sounds weird when I say it. I was like, who? Tovlo. Most people know her by. She's a pop singer. She's from Sweden, and that's very normal, I guess. Tuva is her middle name, and that's what she's always gone by. Wow. So that's where her pop name comes from. That's fun. Anyway, Robert Cameron Smith, my grandpa, Robert Cook, my mom's dad, he was in World War II straight up. So lucky for him, he was a cook. He was a freaking chef on a, on a battleship and in the field, but he was deployed in Europe I think in, in Germany, if I remember right. And I, I don't quote me on that. And my grandma's gone now, so she can't tell me. She would correct me instantly. Um, she was such a historian. But he he also ran supplies to the front lines and back from supply depots in World War II. So battle scarred, you know, trenches in mud, right? You know, telephone poles incomplete and sticking sideways, that kind of shit. That movie, my grandpa cook running supplies to the front line and back um, in a, in a big old rucksack on his back, (laughs) you know, and that's the story anyway. My grandma had a pension, a penchant, excuse me for hyperbole. So I don't know (laughs) how much of that is accurate, but the, the story goes that he had bullet holes in his backpack. I do know for sure he had night tears throughout his life and would wake up screaming. Uh, my mom was used to that. So, and getting back to that, that's, I mean, think about how my mom was raised, right? Her, her dad was gone for a good part of her life. I think 
No, no. He he had been back from World War Two for a while before she was born because she was born in fifty three. But you know, he's in the the midst of PTSD, and there's absolutely no awareness of that at the time. There's no medication. There's no, th- I mean, therapy to speak of, as far as I know, in nineteen fifty three for Probably PTSD, not. and so it went untreated. Um, and uh, my mother is not the oldest, so you know he. He would have gotten married and had kids with my grandma fairly quickly, although they did both end up working all their lives as teachers to make a living. Um, and my grandma, her father, she was raised in southern Utah in Kanab and, and the surrounding area. I can't remember all the details, but she she was raised by a family where her she was unloved by her mother from birth. She was born a twin. And again, the story goes, um, her mother, when she gave birth to the twins, um, I think if it goes right, her, her sibling, her twin was older than her, right? What came out first and she held her, her mother held her and then postpartum something or other. I don't know. My grandma comes out. She wants, my great grandma wants nothing to do with her. She's already holding the first child. She doesn't, she doesn't want to touch her. She tries to like scoot her away from her and like off the bed with her foot is, is what I remember being told. My memory could be exaggerating that, but that's the story I remember. And so here's my, and so, and then her dad died when she was 11 and she had to work from that age because she was like one of the middle children and she was old enough and she had to work. So she worked uh, waiting tables and cleaning rooms for movie stars at these resorts in Southern Utah for all these old movie actors and getting, you know, kind of a a taste for that. She loved all the old MGM movies. Um, She had a collection of those in VHS when I was a little kid in her mobile home in West Jordan, Utah. I really hope I'm, I'm trying to create a nostalgia trip whenever possible. If you can't tell for any Utahns out there listening a little bit, the old, the old regional airport out by West Jordan, the mobile home community <laughs> she lived in. I used to mow her lawn, trim her hedges, and that is not a euphemism. Oh God, why did I even say that? Because uh, trauma. Um, yeah. So that's who my mom was raised by, Robert and Leonora Cook, from Southern Utah. Went to SUU. Highly traumatized people. Who had four children of their own who were then traumatized to a lesser extent, I believe, Um, but still undiagnosed, uh, you know, no therapy, not even attentive listening parents. They can't, they can't, their parents can't deal with their own emotions, so they don't have anyone to turn to, not even each other because they grew up afraid. And that's what ended up happening with my family, but to a lesser extent, we loved each other. We had a great time growing up. I have tons of great memories of, my dad playing kangaroo kicks in the living room with us. It's where we he would sit on his back and lay on his back rather. And we'd sit on his feet that are up in the air. And, and we go one, two, three, and he'd push us, right? And we'd make this big old jump into the air towards the mini grand piano we used to have. <laughs> I feel like safety wasn't as much of a concern back then in the 90s. But we had a great time together, you know? We had a trampoline in the backyard. That was about all we had as kids growing up as a trampoline. And a crappy old TV we weren't allowed to watch most of the time because my mom didn't like TV. And But you know what? We were happy for a while there, um, I think. 
each generation of my family was happy at certain points and, and, and had good times with each other. But we, we didn't realize till we were older that our parents kind of drove us apart from each other because they couldn't deal with their trauma. Right. And, and they had so much stress and my, my dad emotionally and, and verbally abused my mom. And I didn't realize it until I was 28, my older siblings realized it sooner, but he used to physically abuse um, my siblings occasionally and myself. And my, I don't think he ever did for my mom. I don't think he, I don't think he would. He loves her too much. Um, wow. I'm really getting in deep. That's what cannabis does for me. It, it brings my walls down um, and helps me keep my thoughts clearer. I was feeling a little scattered when we started this. I mean, I'm always feeling a little scattered, but I feel like I've kind of settled. It does the opposite for me. It does the opposite for you. That's so interesting. Yeah. Tell me about it. Tell <clears throat> me about medical cannabis for you. I used to really enjoy um, having my fair share of cannabis throughout the, throughout the day. Right. I, I, my focus was mainly on really all I wanted to do was work out and I loved pairing the two. It was like ah, so peaceful. It was the best. Like, oh, it no. was just, it was peaceful. No. Like it was quiet, oh, but it was okay. like, it was so quiet. Like I was able to quiet my mind Nice, and Me too. it felt really nice and relaxing and being in the moment. And it was some of my favorite times, but I ended up having several not so fun experiences associated with that with other psychedelics, mm. and ah. I I don't know that if if I both created was it mushrooms? Um, it was uh, research you chemicals, um, okay. LSD, but it was they call it twenty five I and twenty five C, and then. Um, on top of that, I think I was arrested for, um, for possession uh, and it was like not a fun time. Like, it was a real right. not fun time. Wow. So it was for possession of the cannabis. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. so you'd had this other substance in your system from something prior and then you had cannabis in your system and you had a bad experience with that. And then you got arrested for possession. So two different experiences, oh, but okay. yes. Okay. Yeah. So I think uh, one, I think maybe like creating some sort of connection between those, like, like a loop between a not so fun experience with the LSD and then combining it with the, the canvas may have like, Subconsciously like, made a connection like, "Ooh, these two things don't go together. Ooh, if I do this, then end this, and then it's not not fun time." Wow. And then later, getting um, having that charge, that one really did not. After that, it was like a definite no go. It was like every time that I would partake, it gave me more anxiety than anything else. It was no longer enjoyable at all. Wow. At all. It's so crazy. It's like your nervous system or your, or just like decided, no, like this, we've had enough of this endocannabinoid system. Like, fuck this shit. We're out. We didn't like that. Never again. We don't trust it anymore. 
Wow. I, I, if I if I do, then like I, I've I've wanted to go back because I like I remember those times where I did enjoy it, and so I'll still like I'll still try to. It's been a long time at this point. I'm pretty much capped out. I'm pretty much done. But I'll attempt, and then it gives me this severe anxiety. Like I go on a rabbit hole down, not a good place, and I cannot get out. And there's like no breathing. Wow. There's no talking. There's no. It's just like gonna oh keep rolling gosh. and rolling and feel terrible. Keep rolling, rolling, rolling. <laughs> Dude, that is crazy. It's terrible. I am sorry. Wow. It is what it is. It's part well, it's part of my thing. Yeah, I mean as long as you know then you right? Just my therapist likes to say at the end of the day we're all just avoiding pain and seeking out pleasure, right? That's how human beings work. On a fundamental level, every single one of us works that exact same way. Yeah. Even psychopaths, right? They just have very yeah. different wiring in other ways. But that's that's humanity in a nutshell. That's life in a nutshell, right? Every creature is just like, hey, I just want to live and not hurt and not die as much as possible, you know. And then we all know that that's not going to happen. But like, we make our peace with it eventually because there's no other choice, right? That's and existence in a nutshell. And then imagine being like, in that you saying these two things are are two. You saying that thing reminds me, makes me think of two things. It's one, um, the less that I'm with my significant other, the more that I'll tend to drink alcohol. That's uh, one. The second one is being in corporate America. I think that there's such this like, we got to win and like at all costs and mm-hmm. we got to save as much money and, and it's highest always profit a competition, right? someone isn't sleeping right yeah where it's, are you going to be in the lineup right? are you going to be in the top 10 at the end of the race the top 50 the top thousand are you going to be in the bottom hundred yeah it's that anxiety that constant anxiety that keeps us chronically stressed like it hijacks our nervous system my therapist has explained that and and the books i'm reading we always so quick quick just a quick little moment to explain how our fight flight response system works, our nervous system, our par- parasympathetic nervous system. I get the two mixed up. So our body, our functioning, right? When we sense a threat, when our senses pick up something that our brain says is a danger, danger, right? It's trying to keep us alive, trying to keep us procreating. Then we go into like fast forward mode. Our body does, right? We get a hit of adrenaline and some other chemicals that I don't know. <laughs> I've just been told some other chemicals and our heart rate increases and our breathing increases and our pupils dilate to take in more light and we fucking get ready to go. Right. And our brain decides very quickly. It has to go, okay, what's the best chance of survival? What are the odds go running away, killing the thing. And then freeze is somehow, I don't know if it's in there or not. I'm getting the sense that freeze is, is becoming the, um, the unwanted uh, vowel or unwanted consonant. What was it? P used to be like a, con- a vowel or something. Now it's a consonant or I, or I forget. There's some like letter in the alphabet that's not considered one or the other. A Y. That's, that's my point. No. A Y. Yes. Yeah. A Y. Like, is it a vowel? Is it a consonant? 
Yeah. Why some people got taught one, some people got taught the other, and whoever used to get taught one and isn't being taught now, they're like, hey, what about why it used to be? God, I, see, this is the thing. I like, I'm lucid. I know exactly what I'm talking about, but now I'm talking about nonsense. That's, <laughs> that's the downside of cannabis. I'm talking about why, very clearly. Why, Cameron? Why? <laughs> oh, so okay. you're talking about um, the fight, flight, fireflight. So freeze is like the why. I I'm getting the sense of this whole thing because in all the stuff I'm reading now, and it's like fight or flight. That's what my therapist keeps saying. So freeze might be some other thing. I think uh, that playing dead, happens. you know, like with a bear, right? You, you're like, okay, I can't run away from this and there's no way I'm going to kill it. So pretend I'm dead and maybe it'll leave me alone. But we kind of have to be taught that, you know, that's maybe not instinctive. I don't I know. Think, I think freeze bears. happens. So you have a curve of uh, a level of anxiety and performance, right? And so you have, it's, I believe it's a bell curve. And so as your anxiety increases, your performance will increase, right? Up until a point where you have so much anxiety that your performance uh, will now decrease. And then you drop off to the point where you, you are, per, you have paralysis. And so I think that mm. freezes is, is definitely incorporated and it's associated with too much anxiety or, or there, I think anxiety is I the see. curve and it, mm. it, it is a positive thing for most like anxiety is normal and natural and it right. can be used appropriately because it is your body telling you it's, it's, it's fuel. This, it's like an it's like a fuel injection for a car, like boom, here. Go, exactly. Right? It's just what I think EMDR helps with is associating the right things and, and like creating the mm. right pattern, right? T- taking that that mm-hmm. that trauma response out and creating this like oh shit, like this safety mechanism where it doesn't exist because it used to exist and it's no longer healthy, but at the time it kept you safe, but now you're not in that situation. So then EMDR is trying to like rewire that like skip over that trauma response and then create the appropriate response. Right. Right. Ice cream isn't actually a threat to your life. You just think it is because one time as a kid, you choked on it and almost died. And you now you see ice cream and your body freaks out and it says, get away from that. Even though you really like blueberries and you're, you know, it's blueberry cheesecake ice cream because that's what I would want it to be. That sounds like not good for my belly, but it sounds tasty. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Do you have acid reflux too? I have uh, – I'm severely lactose <laughs> intolerant and I only okay. realized it in the last like couple years. And I kind oh, of wow. knew all along, but I never really paid attention to it. And then I did the mm. – um, I did a diet. What is it called? The – it's a diet for allergies. It's like a uh, – you only consume – like no nuts, no, and no, um, it, what it, it's like eight different foods that you're allowed to eat for the first 30 days. And then after those mm. 30 days, then you can go ahead oh, yeah. and, um, um, hold on. I've heard quick. of this. No worries. I think I, for, I, my, my charger's not connected. I just realized. Um, so I'm going to okay. get my charger here in a, in a second. Pause but I wanted to finish talking about this. Um, I'll play, I'll just play some random piano. We'll take there you a, go. Do take a play, a one, play some random piano. Let me, my, yeah, let me go do that. <clears throat> For anyone listening, I am on the piano out of ten. How did it go? Five. It went. It went all right. 
I think you'll enjoy it later. You might chuckle. We'll see. I'm excited for it. I think you're, you're God, the first like person that's ever played an instrument. Really? Oh, cool. No, I'm like literally shaking right now. Not because it's because I'm so when I get on the spot with performing, I get this huge rush of chemicals, huge rush of adrenaline. Um, so like that moment where I got a little silly on the piano and I started feeling vulnerable on the air, I was like, Ooh, I'm feeling it. Like my heart is beating right now. I'm sweating. My hands are shaking a little. It's like, it's this combination of like, Oh God, what if people think I'm an idiot? What if they think I'm bad? Like this, like loud yelling in my brain, like stop. And then this other part of my brain is like, God, people usually say you're talented and fun and silly. So keep going. We need the approval. And it's like, I get yeah, my heart rate jacks up, dude. It's like lifting weights for me. I, That's I why I've gained it. weight since I stopped performing a couple years ago. Man, my 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 um, metabolism has tanked in the last couple of years. So I just started back up with exercising and trying to get back on it. It's important to continue to exercise, man. Like what, what is your, your, what is, if you do are exercising, what does your regimen look like? That is changing. Um, uh, I'll just tell you what I'm doing now. Right now I'm starting out with yoga and like, just like body weight exercises at home. Cause that's the easiest thing for me to do. We've got some small free weights and um, exercise bands and yoga mats and stuff. And we've got a TV and space in our living room. So I just pull up a yoga video on YouTube or a whole body, like a cardio workout or, or if I ran out of time, like this morning, cause I spent too much time with my puppy. I'm training. Um, I was like, crap, I don't have time to do yoga before I get ready for this podcast. So I was like, I'm going to do 50 crunches right now before I shower. So that was what it was today. But for me, that is a win because consistency is really difficult for me. That is, that's the hardest thing for me. So if I can be consistent, it, that's a win. So, so how do you, as somebody who has ADD or ADHD and, and quick disclaimer about that for everyone listening. Sorry, Ben. God, I make a lot of disclaimers. I don't know for sure if I have an ADD dis, um, diagnosis. I don't have one is what I'm saying. Okay. I, I'm waiting on my next doctor's appointment to find out. Uh, it's just highly suspected based on all of my friends and my spouse's feedback. And since I started researching it, I've related to it a lot and it's been helping me be more productive and feel more balanced after not feeling very balanced for a long time. So we, neither Benjamin, um, correct me if I'm wrong, or I are trained, you know, mental health practitioners or providers. We just are giving our opinions from what we've experienced with therapy and medication and life. Right. Yeah. So Um, there we go. Now nobody can sue us. (laughs) So maybe better to say somebody who is, um, who has this this struggle of both not maybe conforming to somebody else's ideas or maybe somebody who who is more apt to question somebody else's ideas and someone who is it's harder to, to, to stay focused on specific items. How do you manage being able to be your own entrepreneur, boss, Mm. manager, 
Like the, these three things seem like kind of like for an insane person. Yeah. Um, they are. I am a little insane. Uh, cool. Honestly, I can admit that now. <laughs> Mental illness runs afoul in my family um, on both sides. So that's the thing is I, I, I have been diagnosed with anxiety and depression. Um, one and then the other after about 2012 was when that happened. Um, but I knew something was off when I first had therapy in 2011. And I was like, it was like I could breathe air again ever like for the first time since I was a kid. Um, so anyway, I was diagnosed with those. Um, but I have siblings who've been diagnosed with, um, bipolar, manic bipolar, um, borderline personality disorder, anxiety. Um, I don't think anyone's been diagnosed with OCD, um, depression. So kind of runs the gamut in my family. Um, gender dysphoria is another one. So, um, yeah, uh, I'm one of those people for a long time. I couldn't say it out loud. I couldn't even acknowledge it myself because I, (laughs) my brain's so silly. I kept thinking I was trying to, you know, be just the most like, (laughs) I was trying to be a woke idol in my own mind. Like, wow, like, no way. I'm queer a little bit. I'm, I don't, you know, identify quite with, you know, gender stereotypes and I'm agnostic and I'm polyamorous and I'm, I'm, I was raised by insane people, insane people. You know, I was, I had the toughest childhood. I was raised in a box under the freeway and, Tried all the drugs, you know, I, and I was like, I'm, I'm just looking for attention. I'm just looking for validation. I'm just trying to be accepted, you know, cause I've always been insecure and I couldn't admit how fucked up I was for a long time because I thought I was trying to be more fucked up than I was. How fucked up is that? Anyway, well, your original question how do you balance being somebody who can't focus on things, but also not <laughs> conform to things Case and then point. also want to be an entrepreneur, somebody who manages sure. their own space? Like you, you, you started to talk a little bit about trying to go into business, right? Or like uh-huh. you, you having your yeah. own, um, your own content creation, content creation. Right. And, and yeah. so I'm very similar. And so I, I want to ask somebody who maybe is in the same kind of like kind of struggles the same way. How do you yeah. manage that? Yes. Okay. Now I will get to your point. Thank you, Benjamin, for your patience. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so um, initially I will admit it was very hard and uh, that's why I got off track because I am an insane person. Um, so for a long time, this was one benefit of my dad's kind of failures in business. Um, initially in adulthood, I had this hatred and fear of money. I kind of hated it. I kind of hated the whole system. I resented it. Even when I had it, I still felt stressed about the next time I wouldn't. Um, I was raised very poor. I, I remember taking trips to the food bank as a kid. And it being a really magical place to me because we would get leftover like few day old donuts in plastic bags with the glazing all mixed together because it was hot and we lived in Yuma, Arizona and it was an outdoor warehouse. And so they were just these weird don- donut bread pudding mush bags. And I loved them as a kid because 
that was like a major treat. We didn't have snacks. We didn't have treats in our house. Um, we wore everyone else's secondhand clothing. We were that family. So, um, so I was afraid of money and I didn't want it. I didn't want to have to be the decision maker with money because I didn't trust myself. I was like, I'm, I'm my son's, my dad's son. I'm going to fuck it up. Right. And I can't fuck it up because I thought at the time money was what fucked up my family because it was a constant stress in our home. And I thought that, oh, you know, my parents, they just fight a lot. It's because of money, you know, cause it usually was, but yeah, I didn't realize it was deeper at the time, but that was actually good for me because it kind of steered me into very structured paths for employment initially. Um, you know, I was thinking about being a, <laughs> I was thinking about being a marine biologist until I learned how much writing you had to do and that you probably wouldn't actually end up making that much money for it. And I was like, damn, well, I just wanted to swim with dolphins and make millions. So, uh, <laughs> which now, now I'm like, yeah, that should be a YouTube channel. Fuck. How, why hasn't anyone done that? Could be get a, get a GoPro hero and like <laughs> go take a month vacation <laughs> in the Bahamas and, uh, get 10 million views. Um, that's, Hey, Brittany, if you're listening vacation next year, that's what we're doing. Nobody take the idea. Okay. Uh, so I, I, I struggled with mechanical engineering. I, you know, I struggled with what to do. I kind of felt frozen, but I was like, I need to pick something that I'll enjoy doing, but I really struggled with imagining what that would be. Because I think I have ADD and I was highly insecure. I just, I, I needed someone to kind of tell me what to do in life and nobody would beyond like go to college, you know, get good grades. And, and I kind of did as best I could. Thanks to a lot of coaching from my mom and, and being put into an accelerated learning program in seventh grade after being homeschooled, the Alps program at Midvale Middle School. For all my Alpies out there, um, it was like a it was like a magnet program at a middle school. So kids from all over the valley came, and you know you'd end up a year ahead in each each category or more or something like that. But you had to be like at least a half year ahead of everybody else to get in. I don't know. I just tested to get into public school because I was homeschooled. And anyway, got it. Anyway, for all my Alpies out there, so. I had this like really intense program I got into and it kind of forced me to have to sink or swim. Right. I, I kind of drowned in seventh grade. I got terrible grades, but I knew that in ninth grade, it was going to start counting. My mom kept reminding me of that and kept reminding me that we didn't have money to send me to college. So I needed to get scholarships. Otherwise I wouldn't go to college. And then otherwise I wouldn't be able to make a living. And then otherwise I wouldn't be able to provide for family. And then I'd be a failure in life. You know, that kind of thing. Anyone else <laughs> whose brain works like mine. Yeah. And pause. Take a breath, get some water. So I, I was under this immense pressure as a man in a zealous Mormon family in Utah to be a provider someday. And uh, I had a lot of guidance along the way. And it, at some point I was able to focus on subjects long enough and freak out long enough about my, my imminent failure my my brain went into fight mode, I guess. And I started figuring things out. I mean, I was always good at certain things. I By the end of, 
of being homeschooled, I was really good at algebra and figuring it out pretty quickly, quicker than most people, because I was forced to learn it myself. I was forced to learn how to like self-soothe, I guess, enough as a kid to to get in that window of tolerance where like my brain could focus long enough to to comprehend it. You know, I I did a t- I used to read a lot as a kid, but it would take me weeks to read one book, even though I'd read like three hours a day. Because I would reread sections over and over and over again. And what I ultimately ended up having to do is I had to visualize everything. I had to like narrate a movie in my mind of like everything I was reading, be it fiction, nonfiction, fucking biology textbooks. I needed a visual. That's why I struggled um, really hard with coding. I tried to get into coding. Oh, when I moved back to Utah, kind of laughable now. I mean, I was decent at it for, for how much I struggled learning it, I guess. But without visuals for certain things, I just I can't comprehend them. So a combination of these these really challenging school programs I was in between homeschool and, and accelerated learning programs and the International Baccalaureate AP program in high school and all that stuff pushed me really hard. And I was never an A student in them like my peers. I was usually a B student, you know, in high school. Oh no, God, what's so wrong with that? But I, I felt like a secondhand success a little bit because of that. But I, I was pretty fucking smart when I got out of high school. College was a lot easier. And so, and so I think that kind of set me up for some success. And then I chose a career structure where I, I had to, a career path, excuse me, musical theater, where I had to be self-motivated and that scared me. So I picked a college program like BYU, the MDT program, which is highly rigid, highly structured. You have to learn one thirds of music, of dance, of theater. So I was like, okay, great. It's nice blanket. Anything that I'm struggling with that I'm trying to avoid working on, I'll have to deal with it all. I just, I learned to push myself um, and a, a Mormon mission did a lot of that for me too. Actually, it taught me a lot about time management because I had no other choice. It was the hardest two years of my life still to this day of any years of my life combined. Um, but it taught me so much like how to shut up my brain enough to listen to people <laughs> and how to stay organized and how to structure my time and prioritize um, and like explain things concisely. I learned all of that from, from a Mormon mission the most, which is, is crazy. Like it's crazy for me to say a Mormon mission to wrap all that up. Your question about entrepreneurship um, to wrap it all up, I guess a Mormon mission. I, to this day, I'm like, that is the most meaningful thing I've ever done. Like I, I loved that experience. And at the same time, I feel some guilt over like things I taught people and things I said to people, things I guilted people about. So what, like what kind of things? Oh, like asking really poor families to pay tithing. I think Nathan mentioned that one in his, I wasn't in another country. I was in Arizona, but I served in, in uh, central Phoenix and I taught some really poor people. Um, I, I taught some really poor unmarried couples um, with kids that they needed to get married as soon as possible 
despite any reasons to the contrary, so that they could get baptized uh, because that's what God wants them to do. And, and they need to pay their tithing too, for the same reason, which is 10% of their gross income pre-tax. I, I was clear with all of my investigators, as we called them, people learning about the church, because that's what my family taught me, which is a very gray area. Um, Cause I think the church likes it that way, whatever they may say. But anyway, so I, things like that, you know, like pressuring people to make those decisions, trying to uh, emotionally blackmail them to make those decisions. We called them, um, oh, what did we call it? So we wanted them to make and keep commitments, right? We, we asked them to make a commitment. Will you do this? You know, after we've taught them what it is and, and why it's important. In a, in a quick way, we say, will you do this? Will you commit to doing this? And they, we were hoping for a yes, you know, like I'll have the faith to try it. And, and then the promise was that as you try this, as you are willing to open up to this and say yes to us, you will be blessed in life. You will notice a difference in your life. We don't know how, we don't know when, we don't know when, you know, why, but God will bless you in some way that's personal between and you and him. And, uh, and your life will just get better over time. And you'll realize, wow, this is helping me. But I think it's the power of suggestion because for some people it works and some people it doesn't. Um, some people, it really helps them get their shit together. I saw it happen myself. And that, that makes me really happy because I did also do that. Um, and I love all of those people. I mean, I, I don't know what your, your, um, audience numbers are like. Mine aren't big. I just started um, creating content just barely really. Um, so I'm like having all these grand ideas of all these people I love in, in the world, in my past, who might hear this, but you know, if anyone from the Arizona Mesa mission who, who knew elder Smith hear this, um, I love you guys think about you all the time. So a lot of things helped me on my way to being an entrepreneur. And I, I was able to find success as a vocal coach. I've been quite good at it. And it's, it's very manageable for me because it doesn't require a full-time hour commitment on a structured schedule. Um, I can teach uh, 15 hours a week and make okay money. You know, it can be enough if it has to be. 20 hours a week would be better, right? But like even that is quite manageable. And then I have admin work, you know, emails, responding to clients, um, scheduling, stuff like that, taxes and all that, you know. So it's a manageable time commitment, which helps a lot. It takes a lot of pressure off of me and it's given me time to figure my crap out um, with through therapy and medication. And that, those things have helped immensely because that's what took me from like hoping I could, per, you know, be my own boss and make money as a vocal coach because I love singing and I'm great at teaching it just hoping that that I can make a living with it because nothing else seemed to be working out for me and it worked. And I was like, Oh, thank God. Like I found it. I found the thing because even performing, I thought it was acting for a long time and acting was, was great. It was rewarding in a number of ways, but it stressed me out. My anxiety kept hiking and hiking. Oh, it's the perfectionism in, in musical theater, especially, but in entertainment in general, it's just, it's tough. So, um, that's all just to say that vocal coaching was the place where I found home. I was able to settle in 
And uh, it's been great for me. And and because of medication, especially cannabis, I've been able to get through some trauma enough and and feel enough again that I'm feeling my creativity again. I'm feeling my inspiration again. And I'm, I'm getting into content creation. I'm just starting to create online singing courses for sale. And um, then I'll be getting into YouTube videos, instructional tutorials, reaction videos, stuff like that. And I'm super excited about it. Just bought thousands of dollars worth of camera equipment to make it look crispy. Hoping it pays off. (laughs) Good, man. And so I wish you all the best. I think it's a very interesting place to be because I feel like there's, there's both a lot of guidance and very little at the same time. Like there's a lot of stuff you can look at online and read and somebody who personally somebody who's not has ever really been in this industry who's never really considered it until I started getting a little bit more into it and like what cameras to buy what mics to buy is it really good enough like how do you and then editing and right. learning oh, the software of both Adobe or, or like photo um, not Photoshop but audition and premiere like how do uh-huh. you go about all these things and then what kind of scene right. do you want to create it is so creative and so open ended that there's a lot of information out there but it's hard to really know which information to take in and who really knows like there's not really like there's not really like a dif- there's no there's no answer Right. It's just information and then you have to decide on the on on your answer you, on how you, you want you it to want. be. Yeah, you have to do what you want. And, and there's a lot of freedom and a lot of enjoyment in that, but there all because of the amount of information, I feel that it becomes overwhelming to the point of personally for me it's like, well, I don't know what the fuck to buy. Like this is a lot of really cool info, but now what? Like, and if I had to pick one that that I think is the best value, it's t- more than I can afford. Yeah, <laughs> it's like so. Yep. The one I want, I can't afford, and the rest of them, it's like, what? and and because you're like, you have a hard time focusing anyway. It's like you just end up kind of freezing. Is that what you're saying? Pretty much, and and it's it's both like feeling. Both there, I think there's a freeze, but there's also like a feeling of it's not enough. And so, mm. like I'm like I didn't choose the right thing, or I tried uh. my best, but I really was like I missed the mark a little bit. And how can I make it better this mm. next time? And I think that there's a lot of constant a lot of buyers good regret. In that. Say it again. Constant buyers regret. I wouldn't say constant buyers regret because I enjoy the sit like I really appreciate the, the the system that I've been able to create here I, I think it's it's quite cool from somebody who has no background whatsoever and people walk in here right. and they're like oh shit like this is like this is a full thing it's <laughs> nice. like yeah, yeah dude like we're fucking like we're doing the thing like we're gonna like we're right. gonna do it but it's just I, I didn't I don't have the sure mic right the that that m the mm, after, right the, well, the, I mean, everybody has yeah, and my wife got me this one for Christmas. It was a splurge. It's a nice one though. If you're looking for something like it on a budget, it's the uh, uh, Audio Technica AT2035. Okay. And if you want, even it's like it's like 250 bucks, I think. But if you want even cheaper, they have this same like basic hardware of this in the AT2020, which is like 150. It just has a couple optional things that this one doesn't have, and I liked that this one had them or whatever. No, she got it for me, so she picked it. But this one, anyway. these were, I don't know, 160 bucks a pop. And they're, they're the sure something or other. I, I was like, I want to, they're, they're a, 
a beta microphone, so they're supposed to be the, more for yeah. vocal and for studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the SM7. No, I have it. Okay. I have yeah. the, it's the one I with the little one. like funny little Star Wars looking microphone crown. You know what I'm saying? Like the like microphones in Star Wars. They got like the little no. Okay, no, just me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't watch Star All Wars. Right. Well, I'm not a Star Wars guy. There are mics on a budget, so check out. Yeah, sure, and Audio Technica. I think every good mic manufacturer has an offering around like within the hundred to two hundred buck range. Yeah. And if you I don't mean, have that, then get a get a freaking Yeti USB mic. Like those are pretty good, honestly. Like and bucks. that's what I had before the XLRs. But it's it's like the like constantly improving my my existence in this space nice. and knowing that. Being open to the fact that I don't know, I don't know everything, and there's going to be a constant growing process, and right. the more and, and it's just like being able to find people to go to to give you good information that really is going to be affordable, or like if if mm-hmm. they say it's it's budget friendly, like hopefully it really is budget friendly. You step on, like you you look at it, and like our budgets are similar. Maybe maybe your budget is a it, maybe it's it's budget friendly for you, but not damn my, like your budget. My budget. Is, no, my budget is similar to yours. Um, my wife's budget, on the other hand, is a little higher than mine, so she helps out. With she's investing in my business a bit. That's she. That's, she got her own money. Man, we didn't even get to feminism. God damn it! I wanted to tear down the patriarchy with you. Yeah, can we do another one of these. Sometime? Yeah, we can. We can definitely podcast you know, again. I do have a question. I I, people are probably tired of my voice by now at, at, at a, an hour nineteen if they've lasted this long. Um, so you know, I understand if you want to wait a while, but I'd love to do another one. Cool, man. Yeah, we definitely will. I want to ask you one more question before we, we sign off here. Cool. What was your What was the reaction like from your post? Ooh. You got right to the heart of the issue. The, and we've been like I'm, like kind of going around lots of places, but this is <laughs> you know I, I want I've been wanting yeah. to get here. So I actually had it pulled up in my Chrome browser right here because I was I was like, I'm, do I even remember everything I said? Um, confession moment. Uh, after I posted that, I literally didn't look at, at social media once for a week. I hardly even looked at my phone for a week as I, I, it felt so good to finally just vomit it all out. All this stuff that had been accumulating for me for years. And I was too goddamn nice to say it in public because I was worried who it might hurt or who might think less of me. And I just couldn't do it anymore. People kept saying to me, like, that's so brave of you. Like they, they commented that they messaged it to me. I would see the notifications pop up occasionally and swipe them away or whatever. And pe- people would, people I know close to me would hug me and say that that was so brave like to be so authentic. And I was like, I didn't feel brave at the time. I still don't feel brave. If I'm being honest, I don't know if I've ever felt brave in life. I just had a lot of good people around me. I had a lot of people who cared. A lot of people who could see I was a sweet kid who just needed a chance, you know? 
And, and a lot of people gave me a lot of chances. I have a lot of people. T- Jesus Christ, Benjamin. Ugh. I was like feeling fatigued 15 minutes ago. I was like, God, am I still talking? We need to wrap this up. And now it got me crying. Okay. If anyone listens to this, I think this is kind of fucking epic personally. We've been on a journey today, but we'll let the audience decide. So I have a lot of people to think, and that this is not the moment for it. I think they know who they are. I think I've thanked them profusely over the years because I, I know how I got where I got today. You know, it's not just me. I have very good intentions. I always have. So I, I can honestly say now I'm a good person. I couldn't say that six months ago. I couldn't say that six years ago. I think I could say that when I was six, but that's also another pod. So I'm a good person, but I, a lot of people, a lot of people help me get to where I am, where I'm, I have stability for the first time in my life. Since I can remember, I have a wife who loves me, who would do anything she can for me. I have um, a circle, you know, I have a pot of people who I can trust, who I know give a damn about me, no matter who I am. At the end of the day, I have a little bit of money in my bank account and I don't have a lot of debt and I have a few nice things and I get to go on vacation once in a while. And I can buy the snacks I want at the grocery store. And honestly, that's enough for me. Um, And I, it's really, it's been nice. And I thought that was it. That's all I needed, really, honestly, until, until I started smoking weed and realized I'd been sexually abused as a kid. Also another pod. God, I guess I need to start my own pod. Um, And, uh, and then all of that came, all of that vomited out with the post. And then it was like, oh, wow, now I'm even happier, I think, because now I'm also able to feel like I can be myself whenever I want. I'm not hiding who I am anymore from anyone. But it's, it's, it wasn't as simple as I thought. <laughs> After the post, um, it, uh, and I'm willing to send you the post as if you like, if you want to like link it or attach. I, I don't like know it. how this works. Yeah. If if you would like that, I'm willing to share it. Um, I didn't. I underestimated how quickly I could process that. <laughs> Let's just say that I was like, yeah, if I just get it all out there at once, and I don't have to fucking care what anybody thinks anymore, I'll feel so good. And I did. For a few, I did and I didn't. I I did mostly, but then it was like, oh God, but I actually do care what people think. Like I thought I didn't. I was like, I because I just couldn't anymore. I was so tired. I just couldn't hold it anymore. And I was like, I don't fucking care anymore. So I just put it all out there. But then when the text started coming in and when certain siblings started calling me or other ones didn't. Um, when I didn't hear from my parents for a week and a half, when my mom is, 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 
is known for being very on top of what I post on social media and being, and, you know, commenting on what she's proud of and what she loves about my life. Um, that I didn't see any comment from her that I didn't hear from them for a week and a half. That hit me a little harder than I thought it would. Um, so when I finally did get a text and it was vague and generic, I just, I didn't even answer it. I couldn't, I just didn't have it in me. I am so tired of being the bigger person, um, as someone who was the littler person, you know, I didn't have any fucking choice and neither did they really. That's why I'm like, I, I love them. I love my parents, but I just, I haven't been able to talk to him yet about it. My dad called me two days ago. He might hear this before I'm able to, like, I feel ready to call him. I'm sorry, dad. If that's how you're finding out about this, that would suck. Um, but it is what it is for me. And I guess that's, that's all I can say about any of this, right? It is what it is for me. I, I've given up on trying to have the answers for anyone else. I tried to do that for a long time, especially as a Mormon. But come on, let's be honest. We all fucking do it at some point. We all think we have the answer because it makes us feel more secure. Because none of us, we all fear the unknown. None of us likes saying, I don't know. None of us likes admitting we don't know. We don't like the unknown. And so instead, we'll just say, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I know that. Yeah. It's this. Yeah. Even if we don't. Right. But for me, I've, I've finally landed there. You know, it's, this is what it's been for me. It'll be something else for you. But at the end of the day, we all avoid pain and we all want pleasure. Right. And trauma is trauma. My therapist says that to me all the time because I'm always trying to compare myself to other people saying, like, I don't, I don't have it as bad as them. I don't have it as bad as them. And she says, trauma's trauma. It doesn't do any good to compare it. Like, what good will that do you? There's no way for anyone to absolutely know who suffered more or less. And if you did, it wouldn't fucking matter. It would just make your healing take longer. So trauma's trauma. Don't compare. So. I usually have somebody end off with like a little golden nugget of information that they would have liked to have left to themselves when they were maybe five, oh. 10, 15 years ago. And so if, if you'd like, you have the floor. Once you, once you finish, we're going to go ahead and end the call. All right. All right. Little Cameron hustle up, buddy. You and your little bowl cut. You're too many freckles on your face from the Arizona sun. Come take a knee on, on, oh, that's weird. No, just get over here. <laughs> Uh, come here Cameron I would say be more cautious about who you trust not not everybody is is worthy of your trust not not everyone will protect you but don't worry you will have a lot of good people who will just pay attention to who protects you that's what I'd say to little Cameron. And and one last little anecdote, just because I haven't said anything yet, and I'm a total mushball. Um, I wanted to thank my wife, Brittany, for creating a very safe place for me in this world. Um, I, I was so arrogant as to think that I I was creating that for her at first, um, and and I was too. 
we both have for each other. But I've since realized, wow, I I needed her more than I ever knew. Um, even though I can always, I've always been able to admit she's more than I thought I ever deserved. What a conundrum. Anyway, I love you, Brittany. Thank you. And thanks everyone who listens and gives a crap. And thank you, Benjamin, for having me. Thank you for listening to the Ben Navarro's podcast. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, and all other major podcast hosting platforms. Be sure to leave us a five-star review on iTunes.